Uh, who are my autumn people in the room? Fall is among us and give me that pumpkin spice, right? I mean, that's what we say, right? Give me that pump. What did we do before the world was introduced to pumpkin spice? I mean, seriously, we just lived in darkness and it's almost like we didn't even have electricity until then. <laughs> have you ever stopped to think about your life? Are you, are you guys introspective people? I am. I can eye off probably a little too much sometimes. Have you ever thought about your life and like the things in your life and how you're experiencing life and like what it's worth to you? Like how valuable is something to you? So for example, we'll just start with something silly, you know, like showering. Anybody love to shower or bathe? You know, I love to be clean. I, you know, I, if I didn't feel like I'd get judgment, I'd probably do it three times a day. But you know, once is enough, but I love to be clean. But what would you do if somebody were to say, were to ask you to stop showering or washing your clothes for a year? Anybody do that? What if they said, I'll give you a million dollars if you do it? Oh, now hold on. How many, anybody, any takers for that one? Oh, there's a, there's a few that like, I'm thinking about it. The spouses on those people were not there with them though. So <laughs> what about your name? They say that the sweetest name to somebody is the sound of their own name. Would you, uh, if somebody asked you to, would you change your name? Yeah, you might change it. Well, most of the ladies in the room, if you've been married, some guy came along and just destroyed your last name, right? And asked you to, you know, but let's say first name, <laughs> praise God. But if somebody asked you to change your first name, would you do it? People are a little more willing to do that. If they offered you a million dollars, would you do it? Oh, I'd do it in a heartbeat. Just call me Fred or anything. I don't care. I, you can call me anything you want. Call me Donnie. Call me Paul. I don't care. Give me a million dollars. I'm with you. Um, what about, how, how important are your memories to you? If somebody asked you, they said, we have an opportunity for you to have your memory wiped. Would you do it? No. What if they offered you a million dollars for it? Not enough money for the, okay. So see, we're now we're finding a level of things. We're like, it's too far. Okay. Memory. Um, we love our bodies. Some people do have tattoos. Some people hate them. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. But I thought, let's make this one fun. Not just that you have to get a tattoo. You have to get a tattoo on your face. And it has to be my name and an image, my likeness. <laughs> See, I was not going to make this easy. Somebody in the first service was like, yeah, I'd get it on my back. Oh, no, 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 no. I want Brent right across here. You know? <laughs> Any takers on that? Interestingly enough, my wife said for a million dollars, she might be willing to do that. Who knew, you know, about families? What's your family worth to you? Anybody here willing to give up their families? Usually not. For a million dollars, would you give them up? Usually not, you know. Here's the last one. What about your faith? What about your faith? Would you be willing to completely change your faith or walk away from your faith if somebody asked you to? No. What about if somebody offered you some money? No. no? Still no? Look at you. Right answer, you pass, let's go home. Just kidding. <laughs> you know you're not that lucky. Well, hold this thought on this last question of what would it take for you to change your faith? Would you be willing to? Because we all said no, and I agree with you. No, we're usually not willing to. But today, we're going to kick off a new series that we're called, calling Losing Our Religion. And over the next five weeks, we're going to just be looking at one of the letters in the New Testament that was written to early Christians who were willing to make a trade. They had faith. 
They believed in Jesus. They knew the gospel, but something happened, and they were willing to kind of move away from that. And Paul, the apostle Paul, writes to them and wants to confront them on that. They'd received the message of Jesus. They'd had led, that had led them to faith, but all of a sudden, they had this message of law. They had this message of rules. They had this message of religiosity. I like that word. And they were willing to make that trade. So we're going to be looking at, over the next several weeks, what we have in our Bibles in the New Testament as the letter of Galatians. So hold tight. We have a lot of scripture to read today. We're going to read the entire first chapter, but I think it's going to be worth it. We're going to start with just verse 1, chapter 1. It's going to be on the screen, or you can follow along on your phones or Bibles. It starts this way. It says, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me. To the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So right away, we get some very important information. And it begins with this. There's this guy named Paul. He says it right from the beginning. Paul, an apostle. And so, you know, forgive me if I make this too basic right here, but I don't want to make any assumptions. But who was Paul? We talk about this Apostle Paul a lot. But as many of you know, that he was this guy that in the book of Acts begins to be known by the name of Saul. He gets a name change kind of halfway through there. And as we're introduced to him, we discover that he is a zealous Jewish leader who went around dragging people from their new faith in Jesus Christ and arresting them. Now, he was very intent on doing this. I mean, you even get the story of the first martyr in Acts, Stephen, that when he is stoned, Luke, who's writing this letter of Acts, actually makes a point to say, and they laid their coats at the feet of Saul. So he was there at the first martyr of Christ, Christian martyr in the book of Acts. Until one day something very significant happened to Paul. We're going to jump back to Acts to just read what happened to this guy named Saul to see if we can understand what changed his life. Look at Acts. It says this, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and he asked him for the letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way. Now, the way here is how they described Jesus' followers, this new thing called Christianity said, whether men or women, it didn't matter who you were, that he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Now, just pause right there for just a moment and just think about what would have to be motivating somebody that your life's work becomes, I'm going to the religious leaders. I want letters to put me in the right so that when I drag these people from their homes in the synagogues because they follow this man, Jesus, I can take them back to Jerusalem where they will be imprisoned. That's an interesting dynamic right there, right? I mean, this guy's got a real motivation here. So let's keep reading. It says, As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice to say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. 
So they led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. That is what we know as Saul's conversion experience. What an incredible, miraculous thing. And then we continue to read just a little bit more in Acts chapter 9. It says what God did for Saul is that he sends this man to him named Ananias. Now, as you might understand, Ananias, when he's first told by God to go see Saul, Ananias is like, whoa, 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 can we talk about this a moment, God? I know this guy. He's got a reputation. And God's like, trust me on this. Just go do it. And so we read, it says, then Ananias went. He followed God's direction and he went to the house and entered it. And placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. After this, we read through Acts that Paul spent about three years away in Arabia, growing and learning about Jesus. And eventually, he was accepted by the early Christians to the point where they sent him out as a missionary. They sent him out to go and take the message of Jesus to the non-Jewish world. And it was during this first journey that Paul took out, what we call his first missionary journey, that he went to a region known as Galatia. And there's a little conflict about was there a city named Galatia, but most likely it was the southern area of Galatia. Several churches that Paul visited and went to, what we now know as Central Turkey. And uh, if you're interested, you can read about this trip in Acts 13 and 14. But while he was there, he was just going from city to city. And Paul would do this. He'd go into the synagogues and he'd start talking about Jesus. And he would meet people and they would hear the message of Jesus and they would make their, give their lives to Christ. They would decide to follow Jesus. They would become Christians. And so all through this journey, we see this taking place. And there were mostly Gentile believers in this area. And that's really important, an important part of the story. So you have all these Gentiles that are coming to faith, but it begins to cause a lot of problems for the others. Because what is Christianity at its ground level? Started by Jesus, who was a Jewish man. His first disciples were all Jewish people raised in the Torah, understanding the law. This is what they knew. This is what they were accustomed to. And yet Jesus comes and kind of shifts some things on them. And so when you have these non-Jewish people start coming to faith, you immediately can see some differences here. And that was a big question that the early church had to answer. When more non-Jewish people start following Jesus, would Jesus actually save them? Is that something that someone that Jesus actually came for? They had to think about this. And then not just that, what is the gospel? What is the good news? And then even beyond that, what would it look like? For them to become Jesus followers. Now this letter is, we believe it to be one of Paul's first. And when we begin to compare this one to some of the others that he's written, we find some differences. We find some things about Paul. He, he identifies himself. He mentions grace and peace, but then Paul shifts his writing like right away. It's not, hey, how are the kids moment? He like dives right in to the problem he's trying to address. So let's keep reading and go back to Galatians now. Paul writes this. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. And you're turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. 
Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, I'll say it again. If anybody's preaching to you a gospel other than the one you accepted, let them be under God's curse. That is strong language right there. Catch that. And then Paul says, am I trying to win the approval of human beings or God? Am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. He continues, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach to you is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you've heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age. I love that little humble brag right there. I was really so much better than many of my own age, love Paul, um, among many people, and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, catch that word grace, we're going to hear it a lot over the next few weeks, when God was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I didn't go up to Jerusalem to see those who were the apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, that's also Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James. I love Paul's writing. He's like me. Well, I didn't see anybody else. Oh, yeah. And then I saw James. I remembered that now. The Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Now, here's what I want you to understand. What I just did for you reading that passage, this is how this would have been presented to these churches in Galatia. This was a circular letter going to more than one church. The person who would be, de be delivering it from Paul would stand in that house with the people and read not just chapter one, but the whole thing. That's how this works. So for us to sit here and break it down like this, is really not even doing what they did back then. It's okay, but they would just read it. And that would be Paul's instruction to them. But what I want you to see here is Paul here is not a happy camper. We may not write like this and we think, oh, he should have used strong language. Well, he did. He used very strong language. In fact, I would say Paul's a bit salty here. He's agitated. He's angry even. But why? Well, after Paul left, Paul establishes these churches. They're following Jesus. And remember... They didn't have the Bible. All they had to go on was the stories that they were hearing, you know. And so that's what they're building their faith on. But they're meeting constantly and they're talking about what they'd heard and growing up. But then as Paul leaves, there are some Jewish folks that kind of come right in after Paul. And, you know, these, they see these Gentiles following uh, Jesus. And they're like, well, Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. And so, but... They're not fully converting to Judaism in order to follow Jesus. Because you see, Judaism has some pretty specific things that you needed to do in order to 
become, a, become Jewish. And these people just simply thought, if you want to follow Jesus, you got to be Jewish to do that. But that was contrary to what Paul had taught. Contrary to what Jesus taught, Jesus never said this. In fact, this becomes such a big controversy in the first church that really the first big church business meeting is all about this. And you read about that in Acts chapter 15. It's called the Jerusalem Council, and they met to settle this very issue. The question was, how much would be required of the non-Jewish people to be considered fully followers of Jesus Christ? What do they have to do? You see, these folks uh, stirring up things in Galatia thought they had to do a lot more. Specifically, and you'll hear this word a lot in Galatians, circumcision. Now, we get uncomfortable talking about that word, and we don't want to think about it. But, I mean, you have Gentile men who would not have been circumcised. The Jewish world, you know, in eight days, the guys were circumcised. And here comes Paul, and he's like, no, don't worry about that. And then these guys are like, yeah, you got to worry about that. You need to take care of that or you're not a full follower of Jesus. And let's talk about kosher meals as well. You guys need to follow kosher meals and, and Sabbath and all these things. And so they took all these laws and these requirements and they said, these things, if you want to follow Jesus, it's not just Jesus. You got to have more than just that. So you know, circumcision or not, following a kosher diet or not, the implications of the Ten Commandments, these things really weren't the issue for Paul, though. What Paul was really having an issue with was the gospel, the good news. What is the message of Jesus? And Paul says, look, I preached to you a gospel. I preached to you a message and you started listening and you believed and the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you start following Jesus. And then somebody else comes along and they tell you another story and you're just like, oh, yeah, OK, that sounds good. I'll just follow that. So I kind of understand why Paul's a little agitated. Because somebody's come in and kind of destroyed what he was doing and what God had led him to do. But I mean, it leads us back to that same question we asked earlier. What would lead people to do this? What would lead people to a place where they would so willingly be, give up that message that Paul said? Why would they start believing this distorted version of the faith they had? That's a good question. And what Paul is trying to get them to understand, what he's trying to get them to see is that the root of the gospel, there is a question. And it's this question right here. Is Christ enough? Is Christ enough? That's the gospel. That's the question that Paul is presenting. Now, as you can see, this question here is Christ enough. It's been around since the first churches were established. I mean, possibly around late 40s to early 50s AD, this was a problem for the church 15 to 20 years after Jesus's resurrection. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that fascinating that it didn't take any time for these little problems to start infiltrating the church? But can I let you in on a little secret? It's still a problem for the church today. It's not something that we've, I mean, yep, we had the Jerusalem council and it's been solved, but it continues to be a problem even for us today. But you know, as I was reading this week, I started to feel a little sympathy for the Galatian believers, those people in those little house churches that were, that, you know, they'd heard Paul's message. I feel like I need to show them some grace because really, when you think about it, this message about Jesus was very new, brand new, unlike anything they'd ever heard. And I don't know about you, but when I hear something new, my immediate thought is, is this right? 
Is this the full truth? I mean, I, we, we have to ask that today with the current news that we hear. But I mean, is this everything that there is? Am I really getting it? Because it's about my faith. It's about life and death. It's about my living. It's all, everything I'm doing, everything I am is captured in whether or not this gospel that Paul is telling me is true. And so I understand how when somebody comes along and says, well, Paul, he only gave you part of it. There's a little bit more that you need that in, in addition to this. So I understand why, because I can get to that question, am I doing this right? Is this all that I need? Now for us, I think when we think about that, it's easy for us to kind of go one of two ways, because we can easily go, well, I can understand that. Or sometimes we go, I don't get that at all. But I think we don't understand it because religious crazy is really easy for us to see. I mean, anybody remember Jim Jones? You know, Jonestown, Guyana, where the expression drinking the Kool-Aid actually comes from. I had to explain that in the first service. But I mean, you know, here you've got this guy. Yeah, they're too young. They don't know anything. You got this guy who's building himself up as this Messiah type figure with the truth. And you got people that just want the truth. They're so, and they're, they want it, and they were willing to upend their lives. They're willing to go live on this island. And when everything starts crashing down, they're willing to even drink poison Kool-Aid to get, kill themselves because he told them to. Religious crazy is easy to spot. But what about when it's not so blatant? What, what about when it's not so clear? You see, when somebody says, don't follow Jesus, follow this, we go, no. But what happens when it's not a 180 degree difference? What happens when it's just a two degree difference? That's where it gets a little more challenging. And really, I think that's what we're looking at here. Christianity began what seemed to be like an offshoot of Judaism. And here you have some Jewish people saying, hey, you've not gone far enough. You need to do more. You can't just, you know, you, I get it. I understand maybe while they were confused. I also understand Paul's agitation. Because this new teaching was creating so much chaos for them, causing them to question. I mean, do you see the words that Paul used? He said they are perverting the gospel. They're turning it inside out. He says you are deserting. Well, that's not a positive word you use about somebody, is it? And then he says this. He says, if anybody tells you something other than what I shared or what brought you to faith, not just don't listen to it. What did he say? He said, let them be under God's curse. That's crazy. I mean, that's how serious Paul was taking this. But you know, as we look at this question on the screen, I think we do still struggle with that question a little bit. Is Christ enough? You may remember if you were here way back in January, we did a series that we called Asking for a Friend, new questions that this generation is asking. And in one of those, we talked about the issue of heresy. What is heresy? Where does that come from? What qualifies for heresy? How we don't just call everything, you know, and others her heretics just because they may believe differently. But in that message, I talked about how one of the challenges for us and that heresy consists of any time we try to add something to Jesus and we say it's Jesus plus. And really, that's what the Galatians had done. They had taken the message of Jesus, the message that Paul had given him. He said, you know, Jesus, Paul had said, Jesus is all you need. Christ is enough. And then these others come along and say, well, but, and, add a little bit of this, add a little bit of that. And they took God's incredibly gracious invitation to join God's family. And these agitators created this insurmountable list these barriers which kept most, would keep most non-Jewish people from following Jesus, 
keep them out of the family of faith. And so it really makes us look and imagine and think about, are we presenting a gospel that is Jesus? No more and no less. We must make sure that we also aren't creating those barriers that Jesus himself came to tear down. There's an author by the name of Scott McKnight, and he writes this. He says, addition, addition to Christ subtracts Christ. That is subtraction by addition. Whatever one thinks needs to be added, it can be your theology, experiences, denomination, or even your pastor, will result in questioning the adequacy of Christ. Christ is either enough or he's not. That is the root of the gospel. Think about that question for just a moment. Is Christ enough? It's a powerful question that we're constantly battling, I think, in some ways. But see, it's not just the Jesus plus that I think we're battling in that message in January. I also talked about the Jesus minus that we can do. This is where we take the teachings of Jesus and we think, oh, that's a little harsh. It's a little too much, too restrictive. So we'll water down the gospel a little bit. And so we take Jesus' teaching like John 14, 6. Jesus says this. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Pretty, pretty black and white statement. Jesus is pretty bold in what he's saying there. But as we look at that, we can go, well, I don't really care for that. That can't be right. That seems a little intolerant. Intolerance has become a virtue, a supreme virtue of our day. And so we start finding ways around it and we'll start twisting and distorting things. And we start subtracting from the gospel and the gospel just gets a little fuzzy at that point. And we'll avoid words like truth because, well, you know, you have your truth and I have my truth. And yet evidently Jesus said, I am the truth. You know, we avoid words like repentance or words like holiness because they make, may make you or may make somebody uncomfortable. And so we do live by this mantra, it seems like, you do you. That's watering down the gospel. And Paul is really combating both of these ideas. What's interesting is that the reason Paul says most of what he says in chapter 1 is because he was the one being accused of watering down the gospel. That's why he says, who am I trying to please, people or God? He's the one being accused because think about it. You've got these people over here that said to follow Jesus, yeah, you follow Jesus, but you got to have all this other stuff. And Paul comes in and is like, you don't need all that other stuff. Just follow Jesus. And they're going, water down, water down. You're taking things away. See how confusing this can get immediately when you're not careful? Paul was the one getting accused of watering it down. But really what he's doing is he's saying, look, trying to add things to Jesus, trying to take things away from Jesus. Both of these are unacceptable variations of the gospel. In fact, Paul says this. He says, really, these are no gospel at all. That is a bold statement. He's not saying it's the difference between being Baptist and Presbyterian. He's saying this is the difference between following Jesus and not. That's a big deal. It's a big deal. Now, it might be difficult for us to relate to what's happening here today. We've got to acknowledge that. Just a quick question. Anybody have Jewish people coming around saying you need to become more Jewish to follow Jesus? No? Okay, just checking. Me neither. Just checking. But that's what's happening here. There's a Bible scholar named John Walton, and he makes this comment. He says, the Bible was not written to us. It was written for us. Okay? 
understand the difference. So if we ever understand what's taking place, we have to go first and put ourselves in the context of the Galatian churches to see how would they have read this letter. As, we, as I said, we don't deal with people coming to us saying, hey, you've got to be more Jewish or follow specific Jewish customs. But I think we could certainly see some areas where we find maybe false gospels trying to infiltrate our faith that may be calling us to a different gospel that's not founded and rooted on Jesus. I mean, think about that for just a moment. What are some of the false gospels that we see that might be the things out there today leading us away from Jesus? I created a list just to help us because, you know, that's what I do. Look at the screen. And these are just the ones I easily came up with in like less than 60 seconds. Cultural preference, that one culture is better than the other or deserves preeminence. Sorry for the second one. Capitalism, man, that has become a gospel. Prosperity gospel, man, that one has infiltrated us in the American church like nobody's business. We, I, in fact, it leads me to hate to say the word blessed most of the time. Worship style, denomination, political party, individualism, a personal gospel, social gospel, social justice, or just sin management. All these things, I think, tempt us to elevate them and add them or take them away from Jesus. And I think that any descriptor that we put on our lives above Jesus becomes a false gospel to us. Any descriptor that we allow to say, to take preeminence in our lives becomes for us a Jesus plus situation. That's a challenging list, it's a challenging list for me. But here's what I find interesting, and this thought came to me as I was studying this week. Often when I read like the letter of Galatians, you know who I find myself um, uh, taking the side of or feeling like I'm part of? The Galatians. Oh, Paul's writing this letter to me. So I need to evaluate that gospel. But then I was thinking about that this week and I thought, what if I'm not the Galatians in this story? What if I'm the agitator? What if I'm the one on the outside that is putting all this stuff on the gospel, putting all these things on the message of Jesus, creating all these barriers that people have to get through or jump over or go around in order to see and find Jesus? What if I'm the one erecting the barriers that, that are keeping people out? You see, I get it. We all want to be the hero of the story, don't we? Nobody wants to be the agitator, but I thought, I think there are times in my life or I am the agitator. I'm the one that's creating a false gospel that's becoming more challenging, that's distorting the picture of Jesus that other people see. So what is Paul calling people to? The gospel, the good news. And we've talked about this. And Paul gives us a clear indication of what he means by this in another one of his letters in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look at what Paul says. He says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised from the dead according to Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas Peter, and then He appeared to the twelve, and He appeared to five hundred, and so on. You see, the Gospel is just this. It's the grand narrative of God that started in creation, continued through the Jewish people. We cannot disconnect our faith from Judaism. We cannot say that that's unimportant or the Old Testament doesn't matter. It's a part of the story that God's been writing leading up to the coming of the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ. It's the good news of Jesus and what He came to do in rescuing creation and rescuing us from ourselves to bring healing and freedom and life. No more. 
and no less. It's understanding that what Paul says, he says, look, Jesus came to rescue us. It's a beautiful picture, to rescue us, to save us by Christ alone, through faith alone, for Gentiles and Jews, all of us. And really, the gospel boiled down is just my question without the question, just simply saying Christ is enough. And that's important because if you corrupt the gospel, if you corrupt that statement, it corrupts everything Jesus did. It diminishes his life, his death, and his resurrection. Now, doesn't mean how you live doesn't matter. We're going to talk about that in the coming weeks. Our lifestyle cannot be disconnected from our faith. It can't be. But we will always lose when we try to add or take away from the good news, period. Now, as I wrap up here, one of the things I find fascinating about this, and I love why, how Paul makes this defense, that humble brag about how good he was as a Jewish person. Because really, if you look at who should have been the one demanding more Jewishness to Christ's followers, really would have been Paul, right? I mean, he was a Jew of Jews, and he was the guy that should have been saying, yep, get circumcised and eat kosher and observe Sabbath, and there's 600 plus laws, there you go. But if he describes himself as a Jew among Jews, ahead of his, all the others his age, what in the world would get him to a place to go, it's not about that stuff, but it's about Jesus? Goes back to the Damascus Road, doesn't it? When you encounter Jesus, you really understand what the gospel is truly all about. And I get it. It's our human nature to say, I want to do more. I need to do more. There's got to be more. And Jesus is going, I've done it all. Everything I did for you on the cross was completely and absolutely sufficient for you. And then the question is, is are we going to be like the agitators in the story? Are we going to say, no, 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 but do more, do more, do more. We're going to be like the Galatians in the story. Are we going to be the ones that are like, well, okay, I'll listen to this. And okay, maybe it is. Or will we find ourselves identifying more like Paul in the story and being the people that say, look, well, the temptation to add is there. Let's quit. Let's get back to what matters. Christ is enough. And in Galatians 1, I don't know if you picked it up when we read it, but when Paul's describing his journey, you know, being Jewish and, you know, going out and trying to, you know, arrest people and take care of Christians, he uses this expression. He says, but when God, when God who called me, but when God, that was it for Paul, but when God. And I think for all of us, when we follow Jesus, that's what it comes back to, that but when God moment where he intersected our lives and he showed us, yep, you're not good enough. You could never do enough, but you don't have to because I have. And that's the good news. Let's pray.